0: Welcome to Group Talk, four shows, one podcast from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small group ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you're a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax, listen, and enjoy Here to There with Carolyn Kakata.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on Here to There, where we explore how we move from our present reality to the preferred future God has for us. Over the years, I've read dozens of books about small groups and small groups ministries. Some are great, and some are not so great. Many of these books are full of theory and ideas, and many others offer practical how-tos. But it is hard to find the book that has a solid blend of both. And I really appreciate having both the why and the how. And if you can throw in some research, I'm hooked. So every few years, a small group book comes along that is the full package, and I'm excited to introduce you today to this new book, Leading Small Groups That Thrive, and its authors who are our guests. This book presents a compelling vision of biblical community by providing insights on how groups can be places where people really thrive and are truly transformed. And the book offers really pragmatic, practical strategies and ideas and stories on how we can go from here, the ministry you currently have to there, the ministry that you want for the people God has entrusted to you. And it's all based on real life research. So for me, it's a trifecta. And interestingly, the book is written by three authors. So another trifecta, Um, it was written by uh, Dr. Ryan Hartwig, uh, Dr. Courtney Davis, and Jason Sniff. And I'm thrilled to have both Courtney and Jason on the program with us today. Thanks so much for being here.
2: Yeah. Thank you, Carolyn. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us.
3: Yeah, we're thrilled to be
1: here. So let me tell you a little bit about these two. Jason Sniff is the pastor of small groups at Eastview Christian Church in Normal, Illinois. I finally met someone from Normal, Illinois. It's one of those (laughs) cities you always hear about because it's got such a cool name. Yes. Um, And... And Jason, I recently learned, is a licensed professional counselor with 15 years of experience developing group life within both the private and the public sectors. Um, Courtney Davis has a PhD in organizational communication. She's the associate professor of communication management at Azusa Pacific University, uh, where she teaches organizational, small group, and professional communication. Courtney equips young professionals and leaders to effectively and meaningfully contribute to their groups and organizations. Uh, So thank you, Courtney, for joining us. I know small groups isn't your typical place where you speak because you're a professor, um, but you lend your wisdom in this space as well.
3: Yeah, glad to do it. And what a cool opportunity to serve the church.
1: So congratulations to you both on this book. And it just came out in August. Um, And I know I just, as you heard in my intro, I'm so excited about the book. And I think it is one of the best ones I've read on Small Groups Ministry. And it's not just my opinion. Actually, it's shared by many in the Small Group Network, including Steve Gladen, who's written an insert in the book. Very clever. You have these inserts from practitioners inside each chapter, which is so helpful, Um, and so obviously Steve has endorsed it and I have to give a full disclaimer that I was given an advanced copy of the book. And I was so honored to provide an endorsement, uh, which is on the back cover, but I didn't get any compensation for the endorsement. So um, Jason, what's with that? You gotta get on that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe for the next one, we'll see. Next one, maybe. Uh,
1: Well, this interview actually came about because I had met Jason several times at different small group network things. Um, And last February, we had met at the lobby conference and he was telling me about some of the research they had done before writing the book. Um, and I was so fascinated that they had done all this stuff, and you know, I my team knows I usually say facts are friends because I just love data. I feel like it's really important to base what we're doing on, um, you know, on the research and the facts and how people are wired. And so, I'm usually really drawn to books that actually have both qualitative and quantitative research about groups. And there's been some really excellent ones that have come down the pike. So, um, I was impressed and I think this adds a really great voice onto this. Um, so I'm curious though, how did this book come about? Like between the three of you, three authors is a little unusual. And how did the two of you get connected with Ryan on this project?
2: yeah, that's a great question. And Ryan is the connector between the two of us. Without uh, Ryan, I don't think I would have ever met Courtney and consequently her family and and the friendship that we have through this project. And so I had I've known Ryan since two thousand and four. We actually worked at Colorado Christian University together. So before uh, working in ministry, I'd worked in college and university settings and student life, and that's where the counseling came into play, uh, working with students a lot. And Ryan actually was my supervisor back then. And we kept in touch uh, through the years. I moved to normal Illinois, of all places, although we are not normal in any way.
1: uh, (laughs) That should be the title of your book. Not normal from normal.
2: (laughs) Not normal from normal. Yeah. Uh, And and so then Ryan had actually written a book, Teams That Thrive, uh, some years back Mm -hmm. with Warren Bird. And then he got approached to do a sequel to that uh, with the Thrive uh, theme. And so he thought small groups and he called me up and I was like Ryan, this would be great. I would love to do that with you, but you need to know that there are at least fifty better smoker pastors out there than me. <laughs> and he's like, I, I, I think this is going to work. Let's do this. So I said, I trust you. Well, let's. Uh, I'm all in. If you're all in for me, and then, and then he introduced me to Courtney. So Courtney, maybe you could talk a little bit on your end about how you know Ryan.
3: Yeah, Ryan was at Aziz Pacific University for a number of years. And so we were colleagues in the same department. And he and I had overlapping areas of interest, both in organizations and in small groups. And so he said, Hey, I've got this idea for a project and for a book, but I really want it to be research based. He's more of a qualitative scholar and I'm Mm -hmm. more of a quantitative scholar. And so between the two of us, and then of course, uh, Jason's Mm -hmm. experience on the ground as a small groups pastor, it seemed like a really good team to put together. And it actually is really fun to talk about even the the origins of our our small group and the ways in which we wrote it, I think it speaks a lot to some of the data that we found about purpose and about uh, how teams really come together. And so there's some really beautiful things, I think, in the story that God wrote and is writing through the three of us working together.
1: Yeah, it was a book actually written by a, a little group, <laughs>
3: so it makes sense. Right, right.
1: Um, so I'm guessing, Courtney, that you were the heavy lifter on the research, uh, the qual- quantitative piece. So walk us through that a little bit. Tell us about the process, and who did you get information from? How did you go about getting the information, Then how did you crunch all that out?
3: Sure. So I remember Jason came to California. Ryan was still in California at the time at Azusa Pacific, and we carved out two whole days, and we had... Whiteboards upon whiteboards. Do you remember this? (laughs) Whiteboards upon whiteboards of of all the things that we thought might contribute and what would be meaningful and what are we actually trying to study in. So um, what we ended up doing is we were able to collect data from ministry leaders, so small groups pastors and ministry leads, the point people in small group ministries, uh, who then nominated their top three to five small groups Mm. in their ministry. So we were asking for at least one of those to be the creme de la creme, the absolute best that they perceived and then at least one of which that was above average. And so we wanted some degree of variance and mm-hmm. yet at the same time we're not interested in comparing good groups to really bad groups.
1: Um, <laughs> well, and well, so that once, would be a little awkward, right to <laughs> ask, really awkward disaster, to be like oh I picked you because I, I wanted to help this thing out on the that's not, <laughs> exactly. not a good group. <laughs>
3: So, from those nominations, we then collected uh, survey data from those group leaders and their group members. And so we have this robust data set, both from the ministry level to the leader level to the group member level. And we were able to look across uh, all of that data. So, I think at the end of the day, the thing that we really wanted to figure out was what contributes to an individual spiritual growth. So what about the group actually contributes to individual spiritual growth? I think we can sometimes look at good groups and they actually are just made up of really mature Christians. And Mm -hmm. so you get a bunch of really mature Christians together and then you have a quote unquote good group, but that doesn't really help us train group leaders, except if we were willing to tell them just go recruit the really mature Christians and they're going to have a good group. Uh, rather, we were able to do some statistical uh, procedures that were able to hold constant that individual spiritual health. So, apart from whether or not your group members were really mature Christians, really new Christians, we wanted to know what is the group actually contributing to the individual growth, which is really fun to have Jason on the team and to say, does that actually matter? What are we really trying to yeah. get at, and what's going to be helpful? Uh, we're not interested in writing a book that is not going to be used yeah, for God's glory and for the good of our people, and so really trying to figure out how is it that the group is actually contributing to individual spiritual health and um, so then we looked at a whole lot of uh, variables that we thought might contribute to the group's contribution to individual health. So uh, what's the purpose of their group? How big mm-hmm. is the group? How many members attend more than 50% of the time, more than 75% of the time? Uh, how do groups spend their time? So what percentage mm-hmm. of their uh, two-hour long meeting or hour and 50 long meeting or whatever it is, what do they do mm-hmm. when they're together? How long have they been together? And so lots of variables, uh, of course, all in the appendix <laughs> of our book, And but we really wanted to do a pretty comprehensive look at what would actually contribute to um, to people growing closer to the Lord and uh, deeper in their relationship with others?
1: So, Courtney, so did you interview um, just to get data just from um, certain types of churches, or was it across a spectrum of different denominations? Or how did you go about that? process? Yeah,
3: it was as wide open as we needed and wanted it to be. And so we were looking for small groups, pastors at a variety of size, church denomination. And we looked at denominational differences. We looked at regional Mm. differences. We were really interested in kind of this generalizable uh, set of findings. And so you need a pretty good, uh, diverse set of participants in your study. And we really sought that so that we can really say this is uh, this doesn't just apply to the Midwest. This doesn't just apply right. to this denomination. This doesn't just apply to um, oh, what's the what's the language in your world that this idea that it had some sort of format. So are these sermons based groups or cell groups or Type of groups? Um, yeah. Yeah, yep. type of group. Um, type, are people yep. growing more spiritually? Growing spiritually uh, in specific types of groups, and so we really needed to get our arms around that. And so, yeah, a very diverse set um, of data. And and then, of course, we did interview those in our best groups, um, which again we defined as the group actually contributing to individual spiritual growth. And we interviewed. We also observed a number of groups and wanted to see what was going on, um, kind of on the ground, and right. get that lived experience
1: yeah and so jason i could see why they needed you
2: yes
3: (laughs) for
1: that well and
2: why we needed courtney and ryan too because it all kind of came together really well and we feel like we had a really good balance courtney you mentioned that just earlier it was just fun from a team dynamic Mm. uh, the balance that we have or and have had through this project yeah
1: yeah so tell me um as I read the book, um, I definitely had some aha surprise moments um, because some of the questions that you mentioned, Courtney, like this is stuff that small groups people talk about all the time, you know, because we're always looking for the the silver bullet, right, Jason? We're looking for yeah. the magic formula, right? So mm-hmm. um, so I think, you know, I thought, oh, this will tell you. Here's, this, here's the secret sauce. But um, there were some surprises from the data that you revealed. Um, but before I, I talk about my surprises, I'm curious to see, What um, were there any surprises for you in the data after um, researching it?
2: Yeah, I think for me, there's uh, quite a few. And actually, some of them didn't even land in in the kind of final manuscripts, too. So we got some things out there that are just kind of floating. But um, honestly, I think uh, the biggest one for me was the core size, what what Mm. the right size small group is for the uh, best opportunity for growth to occur. Uh, Corney would say that a lot nicer than, than I just did, but, <laughs> but, but it's in there. And that was surprising. It's not what we have traditionally thought of as the prototypical size for a small group. And I think that was a huge finding uh, in the midst of that. Uh, another one was, uh, this was a, this kind of finds itself in chapter nine, but, and it talked about those best leaders and personal mm-hmm. self-care habits. Uh, this was really surprising to me that 35% of the best leaders had a daily habit in the word. And that, that actually
1: was really low. It's really, low.
2: It's really oh, low.
1: okay. As in okay.
2: only only 35% I of see. the best leaders have a daily habit in the word. And so um, I think so it's your, just,
1: your, your takeaway from that is, is huh?
2: the takeaway <laughs> is, the is takeaway? that we need to spend a little bit more time with each leader just to make sure that they yeah. are are um, not doing certain things, but the habits and the holy habits mm-hmm. and in the formation is happening with our leaders in the way that we hope to be happening yeah Yeah. those are just a few I mean there's quite a few others Courtney what what rises to the top for you I'm curious
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, the purpose of the group being different Mm -hmm. from what it is that the church lays out. And I think that became abundantly clear, you know, so as you think about my background in studying organizations, that there's a lot that organizations do to communicate said vision for a variety of their divisions or ministries or whatever it is. And the idea that the groups need to articulate their own individual purpose, that is related to but separate from the overall mm-hmm. church or parachurch ministry was remarkable uh, to think about um the impact that that has on people growing and then related to that how groups then spent their time mm-hmm. uh we have there was a finding that said mm-hmm. that the best groups spent 12 minutes on average on logistics and you just don't mm-hmm spend 12 minutes on logistics, even if you're the most indecisive group trying to decide who's <laughs> going to bring dinner next week, right, You know, it's right. not who's going to bring dinner next week, or who's going to bring snacks, that doesn't take you 12 minutes every week. But that logistics time. So in comparison, most groups said zero, so as you, mm-hmm. as that, as a comparative, most groups said we spent no time in logistics and the mm-hmm. best group said on average, they spent 12 minutes. So that sort huh. of communicates to us and that's tied to the purpose, which I know Carolyn, we mm-hmm. sort of exchanged some communication before we got to recording. Right. But this idea, Carolyn, that community is not achieved when we put our laser focus on it. Mm-hmm. And so fellowship and discipleship, if a group leader said that the main priority of their group, the main purpose of their group was fellowship and discipleship, their group members made fewer gains to individual spiritual health than when they said it was some outward facing purpose, what we called evangelism, uh, what we call right. ministry, what we called, uh, there's one uh, uh, what was that uh, worship. The Worship. And yep. so when you think about this outward facing purpose, well, if you're going to be serving the community, if you're invested in workplaces, right. if you are doing something, well, yeah, it's going to take you 12 minutes every week to try to get your ducks in a row and figure out who's going to do this. And are we making progress toward goals? And that is pretty compelling and back set. I think that data goes together is to say, wow, that logistics right. And and having to plan and work through arrangements is connected to that outward-facing purpose, which is not about my own individual growth or fellowship or discipleship.
1: Right. I think that point um, is probably one of the big jaw-dropping moments for the book for me. Um, Because, you know, Jason, you know this, how many small groups, pastors, and directors uh, get up every fall or every spring or whenever they do their group launches and say, if you want to, you know, everyone needs to be in community. Um, everyone needs one another. So, you know, go join a group and find your community. And you say in page 62, um, whatever you do, don't tell people that the primary purpose of your group is solely to build or to be in community. Uh, Mm -hmm. Telling people your purpose is to build community might be the worst thing you can do. And I was like, what? And then I thought, is this a mistype? What happened here? Uh, And then you kind of go on and talk more about, you know, that trusting relationships are a byproduct of working together for the goal. So you need the goal and then community becomes, um, comes as an outgrowth um, and a fruit of that. So it makes sense when you lay it out and when you're talking about the research, Courtney, it makes sense, but... This is a this is going to be kind of a controversial um, finding because it, it's so counterintuitive to what we do in group life. Um, Jason, any thoughts when that came out for you? Because you you live in the small groups world and you know what we all do.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's easy. Uh, that might not be the right word, but as we you know, as you look to connect people, a felt need is that we think that most yes, people we talk about want felt to. Needs. Yeah, we we think that most people want to uh, belong to to things and that they want mm-hmm. to feel connected. And I think that's true. And that might be an initial thought for people, but what keeps them and drives them and then helps them grow isn't that. It's it's what the group is going to do outside of themselves. And that's what the findings came out to be. A, a really fun story was last. Well, last October, I, I was given the, I call it just the State of the Union address to our elders. I get to go once a year and just mm-hmm. talk about small group ministry with them. And one of our um, elders was just, they, they knew that we were uh, writing, right? And we were in the, in the process of writing and we had done all the research. And he's like, "What's what is the most challenging thing? For you for us in our ministry based off of what you're finding and first i'd say the cool thing about this is that this is not a here's how we do this kind of book right. this is a this is challenging for my ministry like there are seven things right now that i need to change in ministry because of our findings so i've given <laughs> myself more work right but back <laughs> to my point uh the story was the elder just asked what's what do we need to do and i did and i went right to this thing about purpose every group has to define what their purpose is and specifically what the external purpose outside of their group is and the really cool moment there uh, was that he just paused and he was quiet and it was quiet long enough that another elder was like chad are you okay (laughs) (laughs) and i just said and 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 he just said yeah i finally figured this out because he had been they'd been leading a small group of newly married or those that were soon to get married and they were having a good time uh with it but they were hitting the wall and he finally he just said out loud Oh, our purpose is to make sure every small group or everybody in our small group begins with a healthy marriage. And so we have to be laser focused on that. And he just had an aha moment. And that was, that was uh, just so fruitful to see that. And I, that's our hope is for every group to be able to articulate that because then that propels us forward. And that's what I think then creates some healthiness within groups and just all the fun things that we think can happen in groups can really kind of be opened up to start happening.
3: Yeah, yeah one I think of those those, oh. those oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna jump in and say, you know, out of the small group communication literature, what we find is that a lot of times the problems that groups experience are really just masquerading as purpose problems. So mm. when you don't articulate a purpose, it might get people in the door to say that community is what they're there for. But I hope that you know, the small groups, pastors, and ministry leads that are listening to this would say that holy huddles is not what we're after. We're not just interested in getting people together to be Christian friends. Um, And that ultimately doesn't persist. So it might get people in the door, but it's not why people generally stay. And And I think that would be the both
1: and, right? That would be the felt need, I think, is for connection, especially now with the loneliness epidemic. I think the Mm -hmm. felt need, and that's very valid to honor, Um, especially if someone's new to church, new to faith, new to a city. Um, So to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but to say, Hey, you can start with the felt need. It's a great place to start for desire for friendship and relationship. But if that's where you end, um, then you really miss the boat. Would that be fair?
3: Yeah, very fair. And so it is that really delicate Uh, relationships that leaders have got to understand and be able to articulate and move their groups from coming in and desiring community and building it. But also, how do we develop a purpose that group members say, I can't miss the gathering this week, because if I miss it, then the group's going to continue to move forward without me pursuing Mm -hmm. this particular purpose. And so uh absolutely we're not throwing community out entirely. That's what it's what it is. It just begs the question, what is community for? And how do we Mm -hmm. tie those things together?
1: Well the subtitle of the book is Five Shifts to Take Your Group to the Next Level. Um, So in one minute, you summarize the five shifts um, and then let's focus. I, it's hard, you know, in our limited time to focus on all five, but um, I wanted us to kind of focus on four, numbers four and five. But if you wouldn't, one of you guys um, give us kind of the summary of the five and then we can drill down a bit more on the last two.
2: Yeah. Yeah, real quick, so uh, the first shift is, uh, we just call that going from confused to compelling, and it's all about purpose, articulating purpose. That's what we were just talking about, every group being able to articulate their purpose. Uh, The second shift is from disengaged to dedicated, and it's all about setting the stage for a group uh, for people to begin to feel comfortable, to feel safe uh, in the midst of that. The third shift is from mine to ours, and that's all about ownership. Mm -hmm. And where, you know, you might start out with directive leadership, but the leaders got to transition and allow for group members to step up into. So there's a dance there uh, that we talk about from an ownership standpoint. Uh, The fourth one is from trivial to transformative. And this is all about being able to stimulate meaningful discussions, asking good questions, understanding how a a good conversation can flow and, and to get the most out of that. And then the last one is all about from an avoidance to embracing, because as a group progresses in health and in life, conflict happens. And so this last shift is how do you embrace the difficult conversations rather than just avoid and, and run away? Uh, you know, this season, there's quite a few uh, difficult conversations that could be embraced.
1: No, none at all. We're just <laughs> all in such peace and harmony here in North America.
2: <laughs> oh, yes, exactly.
1: Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, Jason, we have to confess that Jason actually read those. I feel like you should have had these memorized, right? It's because they're not all mnemonics.
2: (laughs) You're right. I just want to make sure I get them right.
1: No, it's true. No, and they are. They're really, uh, gosh, the compact each one. And I really appreciate how the book is laid out uh, because you can chew on one for a while and there's key takeaways in each section. There's reflection questions, discussion questions. So let me ask you this real quick. Like, If I'm a small group leader and I look at this and I think, oh, no, I need to do all five shifts. Um, how do I even approach that? It's a bit overwhelming. And then do I even tell the group, hey, we're going to work on going from avoiding to embracing? Or do you just kind of keep that in your own mind and not share it? Like, you know, walk us through how you you see a small group leader um, using this book.
3: Yeah, I'll jump in. So if I think about our book, that the findings are really about those who are just starting out new groups, but also those who have been Seasoned leaders for decades, and so even hearing Jason say, "Yeah, the research really changes how I do ministry," that that we are really. Um asking and inviting leaders to say, well, what are the problems that you've experienced? And and can you use this to help you diagnose and then move forward on a particular element? So on the one hand, maybe a seasoned leader picks it up and says, yeah, I should probably read the, the chapter on purpose. And I should probably read the chapter mm-hmm. on setting the stage. But discussion is where I really need to hang in there for a little while. And so maybe I flip open to that and it becomes a quick reference, a good refresher on what needs to happen. Maybe you're experiencing conflict in your group. And so it becomes a a chapter, that chapter becomes a go-to for thinking about conflict. Um, When you think about, yeah, do leaders need to move the needle on all of them? Uh, Certainly not simultaneously. And it certainly depends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it it depends on what stage your group is in. So if you're at the very beginning and we detail a little bit of group development Mm -hmm. literature, if you're in the very beginning stages of starting a group uh, to invite all these group members into so many decisions um, will likely be very overwhelming for them. They're, as we said earlier, looking for directive leadership and they want you to take the lead and to, for them to follow and for them to get a better sense as to what they're expected to do and, what the group is becoming. Now, if, you're in a, if you've been together for a little while, and maybe other group members are coming to leaders and saying, hey, I'm noticing a problem. Hey, I noticed that this could really be different or better, then maybe that is a great opportunity to invite group members into that conversation about how to move the group in a different sort of way. Uh, if, I think also, as we think about multiplying groups and multiplying and raising up leaders, that uh, certainly inviting yeah. something that we're doing in our group this fall. Um, my husband and I lead a group of young professionals. And we have been raising up this one particular um, member to consider sending out to start a new group or somehow maybe it's dividing our group. We haven't yet figured out what that looks like, but uh, raising up a leader and inviting her into those conversations. Hey, let's debrief on Wednesday night. What happened with that conversation? How did you think that went? And now that she's reading the book also, <laughs> you know, we can have some much more interesting conversations and get some more people around the table to say, well, how would we address that? And what can we do to move our group forward? Uh, yeah. Again, for God's glory and for our good
1: yeah so so Jason, you've been sitting obviously with this this information a lot longer, um and you are also a leading a small group ministry. Have you used um the material in your uh, ministry with small group leaders from your seat on the bus?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. uh once we got our outline going uh when we got into the writing stage uh i I just used it uh the purpose in particular, uh like mm-hmm. I had mentioned a little bit ago in that story last October. Uh, Right after that point, we began to really create um, easy ways for leaders to really define their purpose and Mm -hmm. using some of the the things that are in the book right now and uh, use that to our advantage. Uh, In fact, uh, it's interesting how sometimes this works, but we had some seasons of conflict last fall with some small groups and small group leaders. I just literally opened right up to, you know, chapter, chapter eight and just started <laughs> I'm so talking glad I wrote through. This. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is great. I have a guide. It's right here. Yes. And, uh, so perfect. <laughs> some really great people said these things. So here we go. Uh, but no, uh, uh, I'd say conflict we've used right away. The purpose was really good. We're about ready to start a, a bunch of new small groups because we're going to mm-hmm. do an all church study here in about two weeks. And so we're really uh, landing in, in that second shift right now of setting the stage and, getting new leaders to understand whether it's online uh, or whether it's in person, here's how you can really help everyone feel comfortable and get them moving in the right direction with the group. So, yep, I've put a lot of it to work.
1: (laughs) Well, I I found shift four actually really helpful for training. And that's one I've talked to my team about as they have conversations with small group leaders, especially seasoned leaders. I think it's easy to default from, um, you know, just dispensing information in your study to uh, facilitating transformation, um, I, I just love kind of that that thought um, of doing both, and I, I think obviously we know conversations matter, and we know those discussion times are really critical. But going back to what you said earlier, Courtney, about the logistics thing, for example, like that does not seem like that would yield transformative results. Um, but there's something something happening, some stickiness within the group happening during that time. So what what's the like, what would you uh, advise for um, small group leaders that want to make that shift and make it stick? Because it's not really a formula.
3: Yeah. Related to the discussion specifically.
1: Mm-hmm. The discussion time. Yes.
3: Yeah. Facilitating
1: the, transformation.
3: Sure. Yeah. The, there's an element that certainly we can get really good teaching on Sundays. Uh, we can get really good teaching on Sundays. But when well, we time get- really, a, now. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. When you get into these groups where hopefully we've set the stage with a lot of predictability, where people feel like they have a place there, that they're welcome, that they can be in process, that the facilitating discussion is really where we get to work out our own theology, work out our lived Mm. theology. And is it okay to have conversation about some of the harder things? And, And how does a leader then facilitate the discussion, not having all the answers, but developing an environment in a living room or outside now in Southern California, uh, or in a virtual space, uh, to really invite people to process in mm-hmm. the presence of other people. And, and so asking questions in particular ways, uh, one of the things I've been saying for years that now made it in the books so and I've got to cite my own work is that <laughs> what you ask, what you ask and how you ask communicates what you know and how much you care. And so there's a lot of times where we ask questions that communicate things differently than the content of the question. And so as we ask questions about Sunday's message or as we ask questions about this particular passage of scripture, the way we ask the question matters just as much as what Mm -hmm. we're asking. And helping leaders understand that matters a whole lot. So Mm -hmm. you know, as you maybe start a start a a discussion with your group and you say, well, you know, what can you apply from Sunday's message? And you'll hear crickets for decades Mm -hmm. (laughs) because people don't remember what was spoken about on Sunday. What if they didn't understand what was spoken Mm -hmm. about on Sunday? And then you're asking them to apply. That's way too fast. You're asking people to move far too quickly. And we've got Mm -hmm. to lead the conversations differently and better.
1: Which also means you need to prepare. I think it can't just be, we're just going to hang and just throw out a question. I think if you're going to move to transformation, there has to be a high level of um, intentionality about the movement
0: um, and the
1: intentionality of where you want to go with that. Um, Shift five, uh, as we alluded to, uh, we're living in very divisive, polarized times. And with elections coming up, it's probably going to get more difficult. Um, So this idea of embracing conflict, like, that's a really hard one. Um, It's kind of a a level 10 skill for a lot of leaders. It's Mm -hmm. much easier to avoid it or to gloss over it or make a joke about it um, with all of that. So I know it's critical um, as Christians. So any tips on how do we engage in difficult conversations where we know people are going to have strongly held views um, that are different from one another?
2: Yeah, I'll I'll jump in on that one. And I'll say this, like just a the first step is to acknowledge it and to mm. just the say elephant
1: in the room. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
2: There is an elephant here and, or, Hey, it feels really tense right now. And, and you know, I don't know, maybe I'm drawn on my counseling background there. Um, we've, been silent for five minutes. So, you know, there's a lot of editing that's going on. No small group (laughs) leader,
1: Jason, is going to sit silent for five minutes. You know, they have to to fill in. (laughs) Only a therapist can sit still for five
2: minutes. (laughs) That's right. I tell my team all the time, Hey, I can out, I can out silence you guys. So you're going to get a great great
1: secret (laughs) weapon as as a pastor to have. But yeah, I I love that. I think that is the first step is to just call it out. And then what?
2: Well, and then after that, to acknowledge that conflict is actually normal. It's not, it's not something that's uh, on the fringes, right? Like when you bring a group of people together who are different, um, then it's only a matter of time. It's not if, but it's when conflict's going to occur. And so, I mean, we can even set the stage for this early on and be like, we're going to get along and then something's going to come up. We're going to have different opinions on that. And that's okay. It matters how we communicate. It matters that we acknowledge it uh, and, and go in that way. So there's, there's lots of maybe ways to go about that. But what was really interesting, Carolyn, and this goes back to a research finding, is that groups that indicated uh, that they were thriving, to use that language, Mm -hmm. had also indicated that they had had conflict. And Mm -hmm. in the midst of that too, hopefully I can say this right, Courtney, you can clean this up for me. But in those same groups, the leader didn't always indicate that there was conflict. So all it has to do is Mm -hmm. if, if there's perceived conflict in the group and the group was able to begin to work through it, that showed growth because it began to model. I think many of us just don't know how to model and walk through conflict in a healthy way. So this has great ground for us to take, even just by acknowledging it. And then, uh, you know, there's some fun steps to do. that we can kind of get into a little bit more. But Courtney, anything you want to add? Did I did I indicate the research well in on that one?
3: Yeah. No, it's really strange. The idea that, that we'd have groups, remember we got data from the members and the leader, and sometimes members would say that they had conflict in the group, but the leader didn't report it. Or the leader mm-hmm. said that there is conflict, but members didn't report it. And I imagine that that sometimes happens because conflict doesn't happen always at the group level that we might have a conflict with one or two people in the group or the leader knows about this one little thing, but it does go back to the conversation on purpose that if, you think of, if I think about my marriage, um, my husband Matt and I have been married almost 11 years, and why do we get into conflict apart from our sinful tendencies uh, when we're willing to call something out and go, hey, Matt, like, hey, there's something going on, and I'm just noticing this about you, but we agree that our goal is to glorify God and to be, um, be a, a brother or sister to propel the other to know the Lord more and to trust God more, that, right. that makes us more willing to raise the conflict. I think avoidance sometimes happens when we say, well, it's not worth it, or I'm not sure why I would raise it. And I think the purpose plays a huge role in that. So if we say we really want people to lean into what God is doing in their lives, to become more of who God has designed them to be, well, then I'm going to be a little bit more willing to say, Hey, Renee, I got to talk to you about this. Uh, Hey, I've noticed something in the group. Can we talk about that? Um, And so certainly when we come to divisive issues and, things going on in our world, it really does say that our group leaders have really, they really have to establish a really strong foundation in September and October before things get really, really dicey in November. Uh, and so how do we, uh, <laughs> yeah. but how do we have healthy conversation around it? It is because do you see how this potentially challenging conversation fits into what right. we've all agreed is the purpose of why we gather?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really great to, to not have it be a separate thing. I think when conflict appears, a lot of leaders or members are surprised because one, they thought they were getting community because that was the goal. So it goes mm-hmm. back to that purpose and they're like, wait, this doesn't feel warm, fuzzy Two, um, And I've had people say this, but we shouldn't have conflict because we all love Jesus. So we all love Jesus means there's, there's nothing, you know, we shouldn't argue. And then that becomes kind of a mic drop, right? When someone mm-hmm. in the group, Uh, Since it's conflict, uncomfortable with it, don't want it to be there, then they just say, well, let's all just love Jesus and uh, pray together. And then that's supposed to like shut everything down, kind of spiritualize the whole exercise. And it almost kind of gyps the group of the opportunity for growth. Um, because when I read, um, in your book about the conflict actually then brings forth more thriving, I absolutely agree with that. You know, that you just, we just know that in any relationship we have, it's when you go through the hard stuff and have spoken truth to one another and have been forgiven and extended grace to each other, that there's a greater depth of relationship and trust. I mean, that is how you build trust. It's not just built during the good times, but in a small group though, where the expectation is that it's just these people are just going to love and accept me, it, it's really hard to to have you know that piece of it, especially if they've grown up in a um, spiritual framework where if you just love Jesus, then it's all Kumbaya holding hands and everything's lovely all the time. like I I, I run across that quite a bit in people's mindset like it, this shouldn't be happening. Um, I mean, how do you counter that in your training or otherwise? <laughs>
2: Yeah, really. I, um, I think, I think that gets at what, what is our own capacity maybe for a mm-hmm. conflict. And, it, you know, one of the things that I think is helpful for me personally, as we are going and writing through even this section, this shift was some pieces about being able to acknowledge our own experiences with conflict, mm-hmm. because when we're, all of a sudden face in a situation when we are supposedly the leader and we need to be able to handle it for everybody else we're still working through it ourselves and so yeah. being able to pause and pray uh whether it's in in our head dear lord please help <laughs> or <laughs> god make something sound right here uh intercede uh even just that pausing and praying can be formative but then acknowledging you know what we said earlier acknowledging it and then just going into it and say hey The goal here is, is to not be perfect, but we're going to walk through this because I, you know, I'm trusting that we're going to be better on the back end of this because we are followers of Christ. We can cling to that and that's going to help us walk through it, but let's walk through it, not around it.
1: And that's the commitment piece, which, you know, I know you talk about earlier when you set the stage, there is a, you know, we're not going to bail, um, at the first sight of, of trouble, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, Gosh. Okay. So we're out of time, but I did want to ask you, uh, what is something that you hope readers will gain from the book? Um, Courtney, maybe you first. What's something you're like as you're writing and praying over it, as you send out this book into the world, what is it that you're hoping?
3: I'm really hoping that people, I mean, maybe it's a little bit selfish, but I really hope that group members understand that that maybe group life doesn't have to be hit or miss. Maybe it's not just that all the stars have to align and that we just get the right people and it all goes super smoothly, but that we actually can partner with the mm-hmm. Lord. And He invites us to engage with Him in, uh, in in cultivating these really transformative experiences. And I love the idea that there are very practical things that we can do. And so I have said for a number of years, as Jason knows that to some degree, I wrote this book for my husband because he's not trained. He's a web developer and he's not a trained PhD in organization and small group communication. And so to have him in mind, that my hope is that there are really lay leaders. Uh, I appreciate that the church is made up of really willing servants who need and want to be trained to do this well. And, uh, and that. Hopefully leaders feel equipped to take a step forward and maybe can't move the needle on all the things, but at the same time, but can see it as a resource to continue to invest in the people that the Lord has placed in their care.
1: Yeah, and it is a great tool for um, small group leaders and especially for coaches to use with small group leaders. It's great conversation topics and questions, um, really good material to help equip, especially if you're not trying to do all five at once. That's a little, little, little much. And what about you, Jason? What's your hope for this book?
2: Yeah, I, I hope that, you know, we wrote this with the leader as the audience, uh, and we wrote it in such a way that they could hear the voice of their group members as well as the group of ministry or the voice of ministry leaders. Uh, and so they're kind of just right in that middle. But I hope the message comes out is, is that they have what it takes mm-hmm. and that they, you know, God has e- equipped them and given them the call to step into something that is both Im- immensely, potentially rewarding, and also maybe some of the most difficult work that we could really do with other people. Uh, but they have what it takes and that this can just, as Courtney was saying, to equip them to do it well and to have confidence in the midst of that. Uh, I'd say a byproduct of that too. I love what you said, Courtney, about uh, for your husband Matt, uh, and I would say too that this might even motivate some group members uh, to begin to step up and to see what their role is in the group. You know, we we put a lot of emphasis on the leaders, and uh, mm-hmm. they're kind of from a ministry standpoint, they're they're our main volunteers, right? They're the ones that we pour the most time right. into. But I think that there's some things in this book that will elevate the, the group member's role and responsibility uh, in the midst of this that can help make a group thrive more, uh, more completely and have some more uh, types of depth and interaction. So I hope that, that it hits at that one as well.
1: Yeah, that's good. And I think um, for small group uh, point leaders or mostly our, our listeners, it's a good blueprint kind of in general to use for just to check on how your groups are doing. Um, I I think the definition you have for what a group looks like when it's thriving um, is spot on. And as you build um, out the Small groups Ministry, especially to train new leaders, to kind of start putting some of these um, shifts in the groundwater early and set the expectation that you're going to have conflict, you're going to need commitment, you're going to need a purpose beyond just having friendship. I think if you can set that in earlier, it's so much easier, isn't it, Jason? With newer groups than it is, with with existing groups, trying to change the ship um, mid sail is, is a lot harder. So I, I would encourage... Um, people in my seat on the bus as small group pastors to um, glean that from it as well. And then on a personal note, um, and we'll close with this, what's a challenge that you're wrestling with in your ministry um, and, or something you're excited about either one. Um, This has been an interesting season of ministry. So um, maybe we'll start with you, Jason, what are you challenged by or excited by?
2: Yeah, I I think that this season has really challenged um, a lot of how we equip leaders and and. To make sure uh, that they are doing well uh, so that they can do that for their group members. Uh, it's provided the opportunity for us to prune things uh, in our ministry uh, that maybe we wouldn't uh, have to. Uh, yeah. and, and, and so I feel like it's really helped us define what's essential and what's not essential. Uh, and, and in all honesty, we've cut a lot of stuff. And so some of that's, you know, we've taken, we've built that through the years. Hey, that's really good, but we Your don't sacred need it. Right house, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so we, we've really taken, um, that's been challenging in a good way. It's motivating because I think it, it it sets the stage for us in the future to be able to, um, expand. One of the things that I'm really wrestling with from a group standpoint is in our neck of the woods, how do our groups become more the front door, um, mm. for the church family, mm. uh, because the front door of the, of the physical church is probably closed or it's limiting who can come right. in, our group size, uh, the size of our groups can still really invite a lot of people. And so um, trying to instill the confidence for groups to really, hey, there are people that are one invitation away and just mm-hmm. invite them to your next group and see what happens, right? So that's both encouraging, I think, because uh, it's a yes. new frontier for us right. and, uh, and also challenging to kind of um, shift the ship so to speak.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of us are in that same boat. And what about you, Courtney? I know you're a professor. Your teaching environment looks a little different in the pandemic as well, especially in California.
3: Yeah, I think as a university professor, trying to figure out how to informalize communication with students. Mm -hmm. So Zoom and even Google Meet and the technology is out there is helpful, but it's still very formal. And so trying to figure out how to run into students, uh, the equivalent of running (laughs) into students on campus, trying to figure out how to do that, I think it's a big question for me is how do I informalized communication? How do I run into students? How do we connect in meaningful ways, especially on a Christian campus where that is Mm -hmm. our ministry and being able to see the looks on students' faces and discern that something's not quite right and being able to ask that follow-up question. I think as a a small group leader myself uh, in partnership with my husband, I think we're really excited this season to invest in sending. And so what Mm -hmm. might the next year look like? And it feels fun. We've been together for about four years and with a pretty core membership that's been with us for um, those four years. But I think it's about time. And there's a, like I mentioned earlier, there's a leader that I think we're getting ready to send and it'll be really fun to give her more of the ownership of our group this fall mm-hmm. with the hope that she'll feel confident to step out and we can have conversations about how to send, uh, or, or multiply into two groups, um, in the near future.
1: That may end up being your, you guys' second book because, um, sending planting, um, dividing, however way you put it, that is one of the hard, hard things yes, it is. Um, in yeah. group life. So that might be the next net you guys crack together um, for the sake of the small groups community. So I know you can get this book, Leading Small Groups That Thrive, anywhere. Um, books are sold, but if you wanted to buy multiple copies, I was just curious, um, if you wanted to buy multiple copies for your group's ministry, Is there where's the best place to purchase that?
3: Yeah, I think. fine? Or yeah, I think so. Zondervan is our publisher, and Zondervan's uh, website. I think they've got some bulk ordering on there. Okay. um Okay. I think it's called ChurchSource.com. Would be really helpful, but of course, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Christian Book, all have okay. them as well.
1: Okay. And then I was recently also on the website for your book, thrivinggroups.com, and you have a list of free resources, which includes self-assessments. Again, because I love data, I like went ahead and took the self-assessments just to see where we are. And then I was like, oh my gosh, we've got a long ways to go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's
1: some some fun free stuff in there uh, for you guys to go check out. And you can also interact with all three authors um, on there. And Jason, I know you're part of the small group network huddle. In Illinois, um, and you are on our uh, Facebook page because I see you pop up every so often. Mm-hmm. So if you have any questions for Jason, and you have any questions about the book, um, you we you know when this goes on our Facebook page. Feel free to interact with him. Um, I just volunteered this of our guests. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> feel
2: totally free to fine. Thank him. you. Yes. Feel free
1: to ask questions, push back. Um, you know, ask him how he can sit through five minutes of silence successfully. <laughs> you know that that's a Zen master skill that um, I do not have. <laughs> Lawyers are not known. For being silent, so no. Neither are pastors, right? Um, so or professors. It's, it's double, or professors. Yeah, it's a triple let me for the rest of us. So, Jason, we need we need to learn that skill better. Um, so you can interact with Jason um on the Facebook page and also his Huddle in Illinois. So thank you guys both so much for your time. Thank you for the effort and putting this book together and, and gathering all of that. Um, it, I think it is gonna be really valuable for our ministry. So thanks for being on the program.
3: Yeah, thanks for having us. I would also just say on our website, we also just launched a new masterclass for new small group leaders. And so if there oh. are churches that are looking for a resource that would be helpful in training new small group leaders mm. specifically, uh, please check it out on thrivinggroups.com. We'd love to partner with you and serve the church.
1: Oh, That's a great idea. Maybe they can invite you to come to their small group. Now it's all on Zoom anyway, to come to their small group training. Maybe um, you guys will be available for that. So many ways to reach you and kind of get some of the, um, you know, some of the nuggets that are so helpful into our, our ministries as well. So God bless you guys um, and take care.
2: Thank you so and much, Carolyn.
1: Well, thank you all for joining us from here to there. And until next time, remember we are better together.
0: Hey, Small Group Network family, Jason Banzoff here, Group Talk Producer and Small Group Network Creative Arts Director. And thank you so much for tuning in this episode from here to there. And thank you to Carolyn, Jason, and Courtney for that great interview. Now, before we go, let's talk about Accelerate Arizona. Accelerate the health and growth of your small group ministry as we come out of COVID by attending our Accelerate Arizona Small Group Workshop with Steve Gladen, October 6th through 7th in Phoenix. This workshop will help you and your leadership team build a 12 to 18 month strategic plan for your small group ministry by going through the 20 key questions every small group point person needs to know. Just visit smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash events. Again, that's smallgroupnetwork.com forward slash events. And the link will also be in the bio as well. And thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically.